This is one of the best podcasts we've ever produced at BAM. I get to sit with Chris Smith. He has a vast array of things he's done in his career that are just going to blow you away. This isn't somebody who's just written four books. This is somebody who's worked up through the trenches of real estate. You might know him as a marketer. You might know him as an author. You might know him from curator. When you go through this pod, you're going to know him a whole lot better. I'm so pleased to share this with you. Enjoy it. So I want to start with the condensed version of who is Chris Smith. Mm-hmm. Like, give me from the book. Mm-hmm. You you went through it in the beginning of the book. Yeah. The conversion code mm-hmm. part two mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of the conversion code edition two. Correct. Second that's, edition. That's what the publishers wanted that's you to say. <laughs> that is what they wanted me to say. Like, um, of just your quick background for the few people that are listening to this pod mm-hmm. right now that are like, okay, I'm just getting familiar with Chris because sure. it, your, your background, your experience mm-hmm. in this industry from multiple angles is mm-hmm. extensive. Let's go bullet list and then let's mm-hmm. just get into the body of what we're going to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I think I have a very unique set of experiences that no one else has had. And so I feel blessed to have, have had that. And I think I have a unique perspective on the industry because of it. And so the first was Quicken Loans. You know, I worked at Quicken and I was doing phone sales. I was an ISA. Basically. Rocket, rocket mortgage for yeah. people that are not yeah. aware. It, it, well, it was called Quicken because that was how we got people to trust us. Yeah. We said, hey, it's like QuickBooks. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> so that, that's literally why they licensed the name. And so with Quicken Loans, I, I want you to picture 2007, 2008, worse than what's happening now. Mortgage meltdown, financial crisis, the loan options are going away every day we come in. I'm fully aware because I was in it. Yeah. So that's when I learned boiler room phone sales, when it was 7%, 7.5%, you know, when when – we had a loan called Nina, no income, no assets. Yep. We had CISA, stated income, stated assets. And I wrote 42 loans in my first week. 42 loans in my first week. But it wasn't my first for, week. For someone that's just getting into yeah. real estate, mm-hmm. before we go back through, yeah. I said this is going to be quick, your bullet list, but obviously it's not going to be because I'll probably stop you a few times. It's okay. For people that weren't in real estate during that time frame, did you have any barriers to writing these loans? Was it just free willy for you to write loans? No. And it's not, this isn't mm-hmm. just, this wasn't just um, Quicken. This well, was, was across, country, Countrywide was the worst. This was across the board. It though. was everybody. Yeah. Wells, Countrywide, Bank of yeah. America. Everybody was, was, well, the loans were allowed to be written. Of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah this there's there's quick, movies about it, right? To, to be fair, this was not a Quicken thing. No. This was the it, it, it wasn't. And to be fair, we ran every loan we wrote through Fannie Mae to get it approved. Yeah. So it wasn't like we were not getting it approved. It would just be things like, you would go in to put their income or you would go in to put like their savings and then it would just approve them for the whole rest of the loan. I could call you <laughs> and you, you'd you be writing my loan because I got three of these loans during that time frame. I bought three houses, 19 to 21, mm-hmm. lost everything by my mid twenties because mm-hmm. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I was getting around people in the room like Chris that yeah. had so much experience. I could call you and say, Hey, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I've got a hundred thousand in my savings. Mm-hmm. I've got, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year in income. Yep. And you're just like, Filling in the boxes, right? Yeah, well, you could just type it right in to Fannie Mae. It's called Lakewood. That's what they called it yeah. at Quicken. And you would just type it in. You could type it in as they said it, and like you would have the approval as they were talking, and it would tell you that you don't need any pay stubs, you don't need any verification of anything, and you wouldn't even be trying to do it that way. I mean, that was the weird thing. That was we, the structure. Yeah, it was just how it was built. That's why it got tore down and built back up. But I learned phone sales, and I'll tell you the two epiphanies I had doing that job. It's a hard job. They work you hard. The first was with this guy named Charles, and he was in Auburn, Alabama. 
You have to remember in 2008, internet leads weren't really a thing yet. Social media wasn't a thing yet. iPhones really wasn't a thing yet. DocuSign, DotLoop, none of it. No. Quicken was way ahead. Yeah. So I'm calling these people that have never done a loan through the phone with a stranger. And some of them had woken up, gone to Yahoo Finance, saw the interest rates, clicked a thing, and I'm going to call them. Like, so I remember this guy, Charles, in Auburn. He had like a $700,000 loan. And I felt like I was having to convince my dad to trust me to do this loan because I'm moral and ethical. This guy was moral and ethical, but he was scared to do a loan with someone on the phone that he would never meet. And so understanding that genuine concern, because it was a genuine concern then, it really gave me a lot of empathy for the people on the other end of the call. So I was excited about how cool it was, but that made me realize like, oh, they're not as excited as me. Yeah. So that was one. They have fear. They're skeptical. Very skeptical. That's why they license the name. I can keep saying that Quicken Loans is so that you could build trust with strangers over the phone right away. That's why they bought it. That's why Sotheby's licensed the name. That's why... Better Homes and Gardens license the name. That's why people license names. All right, so I already started this pod with a complete lie. I said we were going to go quick through the bullet points. First stop was quick because you have so much more. All right, quick and loans. You learned some yeah, sales Yeah, let, let me rapid fire. Yeah. The the second person, just really quickly to, to put a bow on that, was named Allison. $980,000 loan. And I was pulling up the good faith estimate to walk her through it because it, was like, it wasn't like a screen share. It was like she had it and I had it. So I was walking her through us. Hey, here's what happens. Like page one, you see a good faith estimate. You know, it's going to break everything down. I was explaining it. And I was like, you know, the next page is like, oh, I'm already done. Like I, I wasn't even done with the good faith estimate. And she was already done signing. She was in. She was already click, click, click. So those two moments were like, okay, there's, there's people that are smart and skeptical. And then there's people that are just pumped about how easy and quick it is. This yeah. is probably going to be a, be a thing. Long story short. It, I was, moved, a, it was a thing. It was a thing. I, so I, I leave Quicken. Yeah. And I, my next job was with top producer and top producer at the time was the premier CRM in real estate. They're a Canadian company, two brothers, Chris and Randy Purcell. They started it because they didn't have a database to track their clients in. It was a DOS program. It was uh, a disc. It was a CD. Like top producer is the Blackberry. That's Uh, right. Of CRMs. Everybody had it. Everybody Mm -hmm. had it. And so I was able to go into any office anytime I wanted because they all had it and they all sucked at it. So I would just go teach classes. So my second job that was sort of relevant was going to offices twice a day, every day for three straight years, teaching CRM, teaching marketing, teaching technology to realtors. And that's when you got connected to the industry in a big way. Because you go into these offices and you're seeing their pain points and you're seeing, you're like, mm-hmm. oh my, these guys are pretty far behind on technology. These guys mm-hmm. and girls, like they, they don't have it figured out. Dude, my first, my first appointment, I said, hey guys, grab your computer. We're going to do a class. And this lady had like a 19 inch gateway yeah. and it like shook the room when she, when she set it down. And so I was like, all right, open up, uh, open up your email real quick. And they all opened up AOL. And then I was like, open up your browser. They all opened up Internet Explorer. Hmm. So I was like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> you know, it was just like, so what you, are you using Before that you could even get a top producer, you probably went into like basics of like, let, let's get, let's yeah. get you on a real browser. How can I teach a top producer if you don't know how to use the Internet? Yeah, yeah. And so that was where we'd have to start. And the, the timing was top producer seven was a disk and it was an application on your computer. Uh-huh. You loaded and it never changed. 
Top producer eight was eight I, the first internet based version. Mm. And so it was a big moment. It was such a big change. People hated it. They were pissed. They were mad. They were blaming us, yelling at us. These software engineers in Toronto, Vancouver, they don't know what we need. You know, who are they? I mean, they were pissed. And I was going in, getting these tomatoes thrown at me. So I get trained by a good friend of mine, Steve Passanelli. We became, became friends. He's the CMO at BombBomb. And when I got trained by Steve, I realized that you have to teach. You can't sell if you want to be great at sales in this industry. Mm. Because there is so much they need to learn about what you sell and why you sell it and what to do with it once they buy it. That sales pitches just don't really work that good. Because even if they do, I have seen some guys sell with fear and you suck and it's time and you're not relevant. And you're going to change. You got to keep up. And it, at the end of the day, it doesn't really work long term. Yeah. So top producer was eye opening. Not only did I get to go to offices, I got to do hotels where I would do trainings for the whole region on Fridays. And then I got to go to trade shows and I started in the booth. But as I kind of built up this little cult following in Florida, I decided to transfer the knowledge I was giving belly to belly to the Internet. That's all I did. I used top producer for myself. I had fifty two hundred people that I typed in one at a time. And so I would try to keep in touch with them in between appointments because if they order for me, I got paid. And if they didn't, I didn't. Yeah. And so what am I, what am I going to drip on them you with were, for you six were months? It, you were using it. I was teaching it. I was using it. I was eating yeah. my own dog food as they say. And so I was on the road as a traveling sales guy, two weeks out of the month. I never got to sleep in my own bed. I was in Miami. And when I would be there, it feels like uh, bam right now. Not yeah. Not sleeping in my own bed. Enough. Yeah. I, well, they told me that when I took the job. They said, your, your head will not hit your pillow 10 nights a month. Are you okay with that? Make yeah. sure your family's okay with that. They set the tone. and But then when you go through <clears> it, it's <throat> just different. So I would be done in yeah, Miami. Travel becomes really unsexy really fast. Well, yeah, and, and this is a regional traveling sales guy. Like, I would fly there on Sunday night, and I would fly home on Friday, but I'd have a rental car. I'd be driving around Miami. I hated it. Yeah. It was awful. But I would get done, you know, I would get done at like 4 30, 5 o'clock, and I'm, I'm alone. And so I would burn the midnight oil yeah. by creating content. Okay. I would just write emails and film little videos, and I would send them out. And hey, just, I was bored. I didn't have anything else to do. By the way, if you're not following Chris's stuff, he's one of the most brilliant copywriters in the entire industry. I mean, with the Chrysalis and everything you do. So that was the, that was the foundation of you becoming such a great copywriter? I had never written. I still can't believe I have four books. I, I heard Gary Vee say one time, I'll steal his joke. I've, I've written more books than I've read. I, I'm not really? an intellectual. You strike me as someone who reads a ton of books. I read a ton of stuff. I don't read a ton of books. Okay. Yeah, I read a ton of stuff. I don't read a ton of books. How do you consume a book? Me personally? Yeah. Now it's all audio. You, so you do audio because yeah. you, you reference a lot of books. I reference a lot of books and I list I, the books I reference, I love. So I, I, I heard somebody teach this one time. Just pick five or six really great books and read them every year. Yeah. Instead of always trying to find a new one. So there's just a handful of books that I love. Uh, Hatching Twitter is one of my favorite books. The Method Method, one of my favorite books. I just gave you a book. Yeah. You know, 40 years worth of letters from the Berkshire Hathaway. Go get the book. Go get yeah. it. Because we got to. Oh, there it's right there. Here's mm-hmm. the book. for If you're on YouTube right now, you're going to be able to see this. This yeah. is unbelievable. This, yes, this is a bam right, right here. Uh, where do I put that right there? Yeah. yeah. Can I put that right there? Yeah, Show them the back. This is, uh, yeah, the back is even even better. Berkshire Hathaway Letters to Shareholders, 1965 to 2014. The color pops. This will go in my new studio. This mm-hmm. is like. I like it. This is very yeah, cool. Yeah, no problem, man. 
Not as cool as the tequila. The, uh, did you buy the guy the tequila, or did he buy you the tequila? No, 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 no. What are you talking about? When on we did a pod with Johnny yeah. Drinks? Yeah. Johnny Drinks, by the way, they went from zero to one million on YouTube like wow. that because of their TikTok following. It was, yeah. it was less than a year that they put that following together on, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And so when they agreed to do the pod... I was like, I got to bring him a nice gift, mm-hmm. okay? And so I opened up 23-year-old Pappy Van Winkle, which, because you and I were talking mm. about it yeah, earlier yeah. today. We did yeah. a workshop. Yes. And we were talking before the start of the workshop. You were saying mm-hmm. you buy stuff, collect it, yeah. without the intention to flip it. Mm-hmm. I've done that with, like, Pappy Van Winkle throughout the years. Like, uh. I've never flipped one of them. But I know that this 23-year bottle of Pappy that I was lucky enough to purchase at $500 or less. I don't know the exact price that I because it was so long ago. I know that that trades on the open market mm-hmm. for it can be twenty thousand dollar price mm-hmm. tag for twenty three, mm-hmm. right? A fifteen mm-hmm. year will go for thirty five hundred, forty five hundred. Wow, twenty three years super rare, especially mm-hmm. on specific years. Mm-hmm. And so basically, we opened up a twenty thousand dollar bottle of Pappy. Wow, as part of because they started this TikTok giant drinks. He's a mortgage guy mm-hmm. actually. So he bought the bottle. No, no, no. He didn't buy the bottle. I brought it. Oh, no, you you had it. I brought oh, it, surprised wow. him during the pod. Man, we cracked that's it. That's great. We had a little taste. Yeah. He's a he's a 30-year mortgage vet, which is why I wanted to do the pod with him because he mm-hmm. blew up on TikTok making drinks for people during the pandemic, making it. drinks for his son during the pandemic, cool. basically. Yeah. And so it, we'll link that pod up because that's a great pod. Yeah. If, if somebody wants to check that out. We've literally gotten through two of your bullet points. Yes. Okay? yes. So, so I'll, I'll rapid fire through the through the rest. But top producer is owned by Realtor.com. Yeah. And Realtor.com noticed my talent. And so they started asking me to be a national speaker. So then when I started becoming a national speaker and I was loving social media, I was touring and Inman News hired me away from Realtor.com. Brad Inman, his team recruited me. As an employee or a contractor? Yeah. As an employee. Because I was fuzzy on that. We've mm-hmm. never talked about that. Yeah. No, I was working for uh, Realtor.com. I had started Tech Savvy Agent. That was what I ended up calling the blog and the videos. Yeah. And uh, because I started it working for them, they own that brand. So they own the, the Tech Savvy Agent. They've done a lot with it too, by the way. Well, the funny thing is, I'm like, it's 140 videos of me. That's literally what it is. It's like <laughs> it's 140 videos of me. So yeah. I'm like, all right, if you guys want it, go for it. Uh, they didn't realize I was the asset. Yeah. And so anyway, long story short, uh, Enman makes me a really cool offer. They took me out on a yacht. They were whining and dining me. They made me this huge offer. Can we disclose the offer or no? It was great. I mean, I, I will say it was. Uh, what it, year was this? Uh, I would say, well, this, geez, 20, 2012, 2011. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, I would, I, I would say that there was ownership involved Cause my, of the company. So that was big. Really? Yeah. And kind of commission revenue share of the profit, but it, it all fell apart. It's a long story that I okay. don't you never want to ended go up, into. You never ended up being an owner of Inman? I never did. Okay. No, I really wanted to. So that, was, took, that was a big part of the reason I took the gig. But you took some type of an employment deal and, and eventually you were going to work into some type of equity yeah. piece. Yeah, and I think it would have happened. But yeah. there was just internal drama. It actually was, it's stupid because it had nothing to do with Brad and it had nothing to do with me. Okay. So I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. And it, it sort of was just bad timing. So I was with Enman like 18 months and all that started going down. And I was doing a lot of stuff with Katie. It was kind of like Chris and Katie. I emceed Connect. We did 24 cities for Agent Reboot. We, I think, tripled the revenue mm-hmm. for Enman in 12 months. Like, we blew that thing up. Who, who was running Enman at the time? Was it... Was it Brad or was nope. it, was it Mark and Brian? Who, who, Brad was at the point in his career where he was like, I just, it was like Willy Wonka. He was like giving me the candy factory. 
Yeah. And he gave it to me and Katie. Okay. And so we hosted Connect twice. He was not the so MC. Mark it's the and, first Mark time and he Brian ever... weren't there? Mark Davison and, and Brian of 1,000 Watt, they weren't there or were they there? They were not at Inman, no. Okay. They were at 1,000 Watt and they were a part of Connect. So they but, had already left Inman at this time? Yes. All right, so how much access did you have to Brad Inman and what was it like working with Brad Inman? What kind of operator is he? Well, Brad is one of the most interesting people you'll ever meet. I remember the first time I saw him give his opening vision speech, it was about Central Park. And it just blew me away. I was like, man, this is a poet, you know, and he is a writer. I don't know if people know this. Yeah. Brad Inman is a journalist. Yes. And he's a professional journalist and he's a great writer. And he started writing in newspapers. And 1997 is when Inman hit the internet before Google. Like he's old school. And so he knows his stuff. He's super sharp. And he's, he was so early on so many things that by the time I'm meeting him, he's super successful, dude. He had a thing called home gain or home turn. Yep. Sulfur. He already exited before. Dude, him. he was good. He had points on uh, curbed with lock, lock, heart, steel. So Brad is, and then he had book, which blew up video books. Brad's a, a good entrepreneur. I don't know if he's a good operator because he wasn't operating at the time. Mm-hmm. I know that Brad. He's a true visionary. I, I will say Brad, like a lot of people that you will meet, is, is, is hard sometimes to work with. And so am I. And I'm okay with that. And he's okay with that. There are people that are okay with being different. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's a line you can cross with that where it, it, it almost becomes, call it, talking down to someone versus trying to talk someone up into doing something better. And that line is tricky. And so I will just say that when you're behind the scenes with some of these people like the Brad Edmonds of the world, they're not just hugging everybody backstage. He's moving quickly. There's people crying backstage. I've seen Brad move a whole line of people that were about to go on stage to do a different session that he wanted to do right then. And and these are people that were get. It's it's Inman, dude. It's Inman. It's his shit. It's his show. Yes, it should be. He's going to be about him. He should have never tried to give it to us. It's Edmund. It's not Chris. So I think Katie and I did a hell of a job. Well, you know what? People would, you know, Mark and Brian would certainly argue if it's just only about Brad, then what do you do at the end, right? So, so Edmund well, has the, to become it, a different Well, brand. it was acquired. Edmund yeah. is bigger than Brad. Right. But Connect was Brad. Yeah. Connect had Brad's DNA through and through. Mm-hmm. He was the star. And and I stepped in and killed it. If, if, you, if you can find people from that era... It was really good. And they loved it because I'm really practical. And Inman was always really visionary. So I would bring it from 30,000 to 3,000 and say, okay, that's cool, man, but we don't care about big data. What should that realtor right there do with everything you just said? I would turn that corner for the audience. Okay. And Inman historically, and I think now, is not meant to be X's and O's. Does that make sense? It's meant yeah. to be, where's the puck headed? Mm-hmm. What's cool now? It's not meant to be a practical conference. So anyway, I loved it. And, and I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story I've never told anybody. And, and Brad would be fine with me telling this. He and I are very close, uh, even though we butt heads. Uh, I texted him the other day trying to do an all-in pod with Brad Inman. So, so far, Chris is in and Brad's in for an all-in pod. We need two more people. They have to be massive. Uh, long story short, Brad, I had to go down to Brad's office to quit. And I was scared as fuck, dude. I was in Brooklyn and I got on the train. I was so scared because he was in like a cool area in Manhattan. By the way, if you put that pod together, convince Brad to do it on BAM. 
Well, he would. He would. And I told him, I said, you know, the only thing, the only thing you have to do is show up and just wax, wax poetic, right? Because let's make it a BAM pod. How, yeah. how, how crazy would that be in the comments? Let me know if you think that would be just insane. Yeah. Well, well our, our only sort of rules would be we need a woman and, and a person of color for the other two spots. Mm-hmm. Like we want it to be a diverse set yeah. of four people, but we would want like Refkin. Mm-hmm. And who's the most powerful woman you can think of right now? In real estate? Yeah. Don't say Barbara Corcoran. No, I wasn't going to. I was not going to say Barbara. Um, you know, who would I honestly say that it is? There's a real lack if you look at the, the top executives, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, Doesn't have to be an executive. Mm, I think probably it does. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at well, it has to be somebody with Robert a long Rifkin. seasoned view yeah. of the industry and 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 opinions. Robert wouldn't do it. That's no, one of the he issues. He wouldn't do it. I no. mean. I don't know. What are you looking at? Uh, 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 Better Homes and Garden. Uh, Sherry, Sherry Chris. Sherry, yep. Chris. Yeah, Sherry, know. Dottie Herman. I, Brad knows all of them, man. Dottie Herman, I would say she's, you know, I don't, I don't, it's hard for me to say which one's yeah. more powerful I than know, the other. I'm just saying, yeah. you know, these are the types of Sherry's, names. That have been, Sherry's one of them. Th- listen, yeah. I'll tell you one thing for sure both women and men, mm-hmm. there is a huge opportunity for disruption, what we believe is power players in this industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. The same. You know, you can call it the good old boys and with a few girls in their mm-hmm. club mm-hmm. in real estate. Mm-hmm. It's been the same for a long time. It has. And that's something about Connect that I don't like. I, I would say that because it's the same people every year. Yeah. And I think that they should try to go to a different conference occasionally. And I love it. And I want to go back. And I get pissed when they don't call me and stuff. Like, I, I, I'm probably just jealous from afar. But I really think that uh, this industry is so cyclical by nature. Same conference every year, same this every year, yep. same restaurant when we meet. And I, that's just not how I'm wired. I, I can't do that. So my brain's a little different. So long story short, I'm taking the train. I'm like shaking in my boots. I go in and the Vuk office was pretty good size, but his little office was very small. It was like this. Okay. And it was a very small room. And I had, I was very, very thoughtful about what I was going to say. I actually like wrote it. I actually took like several hours to come up with what, how I wanted to say it because I cared about him that much. And I knew I was quitting at a time when he needed me. Mm -hmm. That was hard to do. And at the same time, I think it was also helpful for me to quit. So anyway, it was a tough conversation. Probably the most intense conversation I've ever had in my life with another person one-on-one. Where I, where I was, I wasn't scared because it, it wasn't like that, but it was like, oh shit, there, there's a level of ruthlessness that exists that I didn't know existed because, you know, you kind of just, everything's fun, right? Everything came, everything's good. You're making yeah. speeches, but when you run a real business, and your business is going through challenges and you're losing money. Shit gets real, dude. Yeah, it does. You know? And so I don't know all the economics and the financials of everything that happened. I don't. But I know that when I quit, I have never seen someone more upset in my life than how upset he was with me. And that was with me virtually perfectly explaining my goals. And, and he said something I never forgot in that interview. And it was, it was a dig. It was a dig, but it was one of those, like, I'm glad he said it Mm -hmm. in hindsight, 
because I was there basically saying like, Hey, I've got all these cool ideas. And like, why can't we still work on the new stuff? Like I, I wasn't trying to like, I love them. I'm like, I want to work at Inman and do the new stuff. You know, I was trying to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. It was tricky. You like to do a lot of things. I do. I'm an entrepreneur. But the thing is when you're a media company like Inman, you can't be investing in the companies that are on stage. Like right. it's like, there's a line in the sand and I was so drawn to, you know, dot loop and some of these other folks that I've worked for. So he looked at me and he said, I can't wait to see what happens if you ever stick to something. That's what he said. And it, it was like, man, he's fucking right. Because Quicken Loans, 18 months. Top producer, three years. Inman News, 18 months. Okay? He was right. And, and him saying that made me realize that I was making the right decision to become an entrepreneur and to go out on my own. I knew it right then. And I stuck with something. I stuck with curator and I won't say how much curator's worth, but he'd be proud of me. And so that I think is a lesson we can learn through a incredibly difficult conversation with, with emotion, with, with sort of pheromones and shaking. And like, it wasn't like a fight, but it was intense. Yeah. This is a real people going through a real fucking hard thing, dude. And so I'll never forget that moment. And I love Brad for that. I'm glad he did that. And I know he's okay with me talking about this because this is the real stories of the industry that people don't talk about. Mm. And I think that's something that hopefully moving forward, some of these back channel lobby con, you know, can yeah. start to maybe come to the light. And, and, and the reason is because it's the truth about how things work. It isn't because people thought someone was some way and they're a different way. No, no, no. If you want to run a real business, if you want to run a big business, if you want to run a fast growing business, if you want the influence Brad Inman has, where Zillow's kissing his ass, to be clear, when you're in that position, it is not as easy as people think. And they think they, they lean towards the writing and the personal brand stuff. That's the fun stuff, dude. P&Ls suck. Nobody likes doing those. So anyway, it was a crazy moment and we've, we've been close ever since. Like, like we didn't break up that day. It was more kind of like, it was kind of like a moment where it was kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm you 30 years ago and you know, I should do this. Like he knew, but it was just the timing. Sometimes timing is, he thought it was too early for you to take that step. He's no, I don't think it was that. I, I think it was more so. I'm dealing with some shit right now and I don't want to add this to my plate of you quitting, you know, yeah, yeah. it was more, that was pretty much the vibe. And it was kind of like, um, I had made, I had made my decision. I, I once tried to fire someone, my first job as a manager of a restaurant. And I'll never forget. I had to take this guy that was a cook. He was the nicest guy and he had stolen some, uh, wings from the freezer lived in Cleveland. And so we're, I had to go fire him. And I brought him in the, dry storage room and the owner had told me how to do it. Okay. Dude, you got to do it in the dry storage room. This is like, this is the well, secret in the restaurant. I think, I, I, I think you do that. If it's a guy, I do not think you do that. If it's, I think it, you'd be it, insane it, to do that to anybody. Yeah. Now, nowadays. Well, the door was open. We, we, we didn't shut the door, but we, we went in, we went into dry <laughs> the closet after this pod, Bobby. I have a, I have Oh my God. So, yeah. If anybody ever says I need you to come with me, we're heading to the dry storage. Like you're fired yeah. basically. Like if it's the freezer, it's a blunt. <laughs> if it's dry storage, you're getting fired. Right. I love that you just dropped 
it's a blunt. Yeah. That might be the first time on this pod. We well, that's what freezers are for yeah, in, the, in the restaurant business. So specifically a blunt, not a J-bomb. Uh, it was Cleveland. We were smoking blunts. <laughs> <laughs> so I take this guy to the storage room, man, and it was like, I started firing him, and I was so bad at it. I felt so bad. I'm looking at him. I like felt terrible. I I stopped during the firing and said, hold on. <laughs> trying to get your job back i left him in the dry storage room wait here. and i went to the owner and in said purgatory of yeah. the dry storage room <laughs> did. i said i said matt we can't fire this guy <laughs> can we just do something else and he's like chris get your ass back there and fire him you can't half fire someone anyway it gets easier the more you do it it does it does and and i've never had a problem with it since mm-hmm. but that first time was really really hard and so anyway those those sort of I wanted to back out of quitting. Yeah. You know, I didn't want Brad to be upset with me and and be disappointed. I wanted him to like me. Like I want everybody else to like me. Here's what's interesting too about that firing story. It's a restaurant. You were beginning to be a leader and and that kind of thing. Firing gets a lot easier when the expectations and standards are so crystal clear up front Mm -hmm. that it's, Hey, this just, we're not in alignment here. We need to both move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, because this is what we agreed to. This is what's not happening. Right. This relationship's over. Yes. That's when it gets easy when you as a leader are so over yeah. the top transparent, when mm-hmm. everything is crystal clear. Where mm-hmm. it's hard for somebody to fire somebody is they failed as a leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we definitely had a rule that you could not steal the Philly cheesesteaks out the back door. I mean, so, so we that, set that expectation. Yeah, listen, and, yeah. No, I got you. Yeah. I get it, dude. I, I I know what you mean by that. And the bigger the company is, the more they do that. Yeah. In my experience, like they have what are called OKRs, and they have KPIs. Yeah. So and, OKRs yeah. are and KPIs are just for people listening that don't know. Well, a KPI is a key performance, performance indicator. indicator. And OKR is yeah. basically the same thing, but but it, it, it's almost like the KPIs are what lead to the OKRs. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it and the OKRs are quarterly, and the KPIs are. Uh, more monthly that lead to yeah. the the quarterly and the, and the OKRs are more just like a high level like um, it would be something if like, you're into EOS it's your rock yeah. It, it's yeah. it's you know. I'm bl- I'm blanking on the acronym yeah I don't know Bobby look up OKR, there's someone that invented it to me OKR is rocks because so, somebody invented rocks for EOS yeah. um, but you're right yeah the objectives the, uh, and key results yep. there you Correct. go yeah. there you go yeah objectives and key results. Yeah. And then the KPIs are the very specific numbers that help you hit that. So how many like, calls am I going to make to hit yeah, that? How, exactly. how, how many leads do I need to mm-hmm. actually get to that goal? Yeah. And, and, and it's documented Yeah, because HR doesn't want you to not document things. It's really hard to fire people if you haven't documented any problems, even if the yeah. one problem they have is really big. So anyway, OKRs, KPIs, you know, as you get big and scale, that's what people look for. And then curator is, is sort of where I ended up. I went to dot loop, wrote a book with Austin. Uh, dot loop got bought for 108 million by Zillow. Uh, I didn't want to work for Zillow. So I just quit dot loop because it was over. I got a big check and parted ways and it was a great experience. Uh, but I was doing that in my, as part-time while I was starting curator. And so curator has just been a, a, you know, decade long inbound marketing with outbound sales experiment in this industry. And where I think that... Do you think that's where most people know you from? Curator or the books? Probably the books. Okay. Yeah. I mean, my books have hundreds of thousands of readers. Yeah. Uh, and my clients at Curator, maybe 
five, six hundred teams, maybe okay, yeah, five, six thousand agents on their teams total yep. or something like that. So, uh, yeah, my brand is bigger. Most people know me from Enman and from Tech Savvy Agent and from all the stuff I set up until now. But Curator became my thing. You know, Chris was Curator. Uh, it was it was it was Chris Smith Inc. when it started, and it was people that would see me speak. Every time they'd see me speak, like today, you know, we did this this workshop. At the end of that Chat GPT workshop, if I would have said, "Hey, does anybody here want to hire me and my team?" And to let's just make sure we link up all our Chat GPT yeah. stuff that we're doing with Chris right now. Yeah, if I would have said, "Anybody that wants me and my team to do all their prompt engineering for them, let us know. We can take care of that. We'll do it for you." How many people would have did that right then? Yeah, dozens and dozens would have yeah. paid thousands and thousands. So, our shirts at Curator just said, "We do it for you." One thing people don't know about curator, do you know what curator means? Do you know what that word stands for? Uh, Not mine, but just in general. Just in general, yeah. it's taking, you know, from from my perspective or my definition of it would be taking, uh, you know, a lot of information and, and kind of making it, putting your own POV on it, for for example. Like yes. it could It could be... That is content curation. It could be taking three headlines. Mm -hmm. I'm going to... That's going to be a three-segment show. Mm -hmm. AKA the real word. I'm going to put my POV on top of it. Basically the whole real word podcast yeah. is me curating. Yeah. The Chris list. Chris right? list is all curation yeah. and adding my opinion. But the word curator is, was established well before the word content curator. Okay. But, and so it's founded in the museum world and a curator is in charge of mm, choosing what yeah. should go on the wall and what should get sent back. So the Louvre is getting hundreds of thousands of submissions every year. The curator's job is to look at all of that art and say, this one should be on the Narrow wall. down to yeah. the best. Yep, narrow right. down to the best. And that's content, right? On that example I gave you with the podcast, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, there might be 15 articles this week that we're looking at, mm -hmm. but what are the three that are actually going to make the pod that, that are the right. most important to discuss on this particular channel? Exactly. Yeah, you're, you're, you're whittling it down. Yeah. And then with with if you picture all these things in a museum and you know that's a, a very prestigious job it's a it's a cool job it's almost like a historian or an archaeologist and so the reason we called the company curator was because we knew that realtors did not care about the tech they just cared about the execution so they didn't want a website they wanted leads and business they didn't want an email tool they wanted emails being sent that were great they didn't mm -hmm. want to run facebook ads they wanted facebook ads running you know, and so what we did is we actually not a lot of people know this. We are the world's first company to offer two CRMs to realtors. And that just sounds like a bad idea. It it definitely does sound. Like and a this bad is idea. how early we were 2013 because most agents can't get their mind wrapped around one idea, one CRM. No, but here's the thing. In 2013, follow up boss and contactually were the best two CRMs by far. Follow-up boss in was... 20 what? 2013. I mean, I'd probably argue that right now, 2023, follow-up boss is in the in the top mm -hmm. spot. Yeah, but the issue is, and I'm a big reason they are, because we used follow-up boss. We sold it for them. Yeah. Their first thousand customers came from me. He didn't have a sales team. I love Dan. They did great work. They picked up the baton that top producer dropped, mm -hmm. right? Or when top producer was kind of dealing with all that change management, and that, yep. that kind of rocky transition, Dan came in and, and it was perfect timing because Dan built follow-up boss for one reason, to follow up and convert internet leads. Mm -hmm. And there was nothing else like that. There was nothing that had all the lead sources connected. There was nothing. Right. And so 
we used follow-up boss, but it didn't have anything for sphere past clients. Like it, it was literally like a lead conversion tool right? for, for internet lead sources. Right. And it was great. The thing that made follow-up boss click out of the gates was the auto text message feature when it came out because people had been getting leads forever and they had emailed them forever and called them. But as soon as you send a text that says, Hey, first name, Byron, just got your information from Zillow. Do you have a second? So now the leads coming in and the text is going out and then the leads replying to the text. And that's when, you know, you got the lead mm. that's different. So that was a big moment for people. So follow up boss was more of an internet lead follow up boss. It doesn't sound like past client sphere of influence, right? Contactually was built for relationships. Yeah. So actually was really good with that. Exactly. Yeah. We knew what was the best because we were the best bloggers. We were the best yeah. bloggers. I worked it in and I knew everything. So I was looking at all the stuff and I was like, okay, listings to leads and happy grasshopper and follow up boss and playster. And so these tools, we didn't build any of them. Mm -hmm. We were the mortar between the bricks. We curated the best tools and connected them and set them up for you and use sure. them for you. We were basically an agency. But as we did that over time, a lot of the tools that we used had large flaws and limitations in how we wanted to use them. Right, right. So it wasn't necessarily that they weren't good tools long term. It was just that as we evolved and, and we're building out the way that we wanted things to happen, there were limitations. One example is how hard it was to segment email lists. Email list segmenting was awful. It's still pretty bad. If you're a real email marketer, you got to be able to do some really cool segmentation yeah. of your list. User tracking. No, people weren't tracking what people did on the website. Uh, landing pages. Landing page tools, they would take realtors had them and they wouldn't use them. We created a technology that you literally went to a URL, any listing, you go to the URL, you put slash full. That turns into a full registration landing page in one second. Mm. You put slash email, email only slash phone, phone only. We helped people turn a listing or a piece of content into a landing page in one second. And that was huge because we knew our clients. We knew they needed stuff that was fast and simple and easy. So over time, we sort of slowly went down the path of becoming a software company as well. And so now it's our stuff. But we still partner on a lot of stuff. Chime, follow a boss. Like we, we do not try to be everything. We are the best at marketing. Yeah. And we don't even have the best platform. We have the best brains and people and ideas. And, and what we think is that like, the platform has become a commodity. And I don't know if that's a, a controversial statement, but Sync, Inside Real Estate, KV Core, Ylopo, Boomtown, Firepoint, Sierra Interactive. Should I keep going? Uh, you've hit the big ones for sure. You've hit the big ones. We love you all. It, it, and I don't want to hurt your sponsorships, but no. they all do the same shit. Yeah. They all do exactly the same shit. Now, they might yeah, have a killer a feature different. here I mean, and there. Follow-up also doesn't have an IDX site. Where obviously mm -hmm. Boomtown has yes. the IDX facing side. There's a couple little things. Yeah, but ultimately, like yeah. you know, if you have, call it Ylopo website or a curator website, right. and you have follow-up boss CRM, you have Boomtown. That's right. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So you combine. What products, happened yeah. is from 2010 to 2020 was the era for that stuff. Yeah. High volume lead gen, landing pages, squeeze pages, stealth pages, Facebook ads, Google ads, listing alerts, user tracking, Call yeah. and dial, double dialers. That it was the best way 
for realtors to use the internet to generate business for about 10 straight years. And so we were always kind of weird because it was like, we don't like any of that stuff. But meanwhile, you're a realtor, so you got to do that stuff because that's what everybody's doing. At least that's what you think. So we sort of took this stance and said, we don't want to make people register and we don't want to do listing alerts. And we don't think it's cool to just make everything automated. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't want my listing to rocket. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I want to handcraft that motherfucker. I want to make it beautiful. I want to do professional fifth agency ad, fifth avenue ad agency type marketing and advertising for a seller. And there's not a technology in the world that does that. Luxury presence doesn't do that. Right. Ylopo doesn't do that. Curator doesn't do that. Humans do that. And with AI and all this stuff, it'll get easier and better. But the reality is that like marketing is what builds your brand. And when you do marketing that builds your brand, you attract clients and you get to stop chasing leads. I want to push back on that Mm -hmm. because you say it all the time. Stop chasing leads. Yeah, It's in your book. Mm -hmm. I teach people how to do inside sales more than anyone. I love it. Yeah. I, well, I love that you say stop chasing leads. And then on the other side of the equation, the agent who's just getting into the business mm-hmm. must chase leads, I would argue. If you're going to make it in this business and avoid the 87 plus percent mm-hmm. who fail by year four, mm-hmm. and you take what you say literally mm-hmm. on day one, mm-hmm you're going to be part of the 87%. You're, you're, you're not going to make it. No, hear, hear me out for a second because I, I am the biggest believer in building, and I did it from, from day one myself, mm-hmm, building mm-hmm. content online mm-hmm. or wherever, right? Building sure. this brand locally in your community, all these different things that are going to attract business mm-hmm. where leads are going to be chasing you. Correct. But in the beginning, mm-hmm. if you don't chase mm-hmm side by side with building that name recognition, Mm -hmm. unless you've got money to fund yourself, I'm just saying, hey, the person Mm -hmm. who doesn't have the money, who's got to get a paycheck in 90 days, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to do some chasing in the beginning. You're going to have to put in Mm -hmm. some sweat equity in year one, two, three. Yeah, of course. But there's a difference. Like, think about it. If you stop chasing leads, it means you were chasing them. The person you described wasn't chasing leads. That's the difference. So your team needs to stop chasing leads and start attracting clients. It is it, it insinuates that you did all the boomtown stuff and you did all the stuff we're talking about and that you're kind of like ready to move on. I have so, a database of X yeah. amount. I've built it up and I've got the foundation yeah. and I can now decide mm-hmm. to build internally what those other companies have done for me. Correct. Correct. And, and not even so much that you get rid of those things. I mean, if Tom Ferry were you teaching let the this other or pillars Ben Kennedy, yeah, outgrow exactly that core business, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah, and then what you do is you do inbound marketing and outbound sales. Yeah. Now back to your person that's new. What does the person that's new have more? Let's say the solo agent okay. who's new the doesn't have a agent. team to okay. leverage. If you got a team to so leverage, so it's a solo agent that's new, brand new. They have no business at a traditional. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do nothing for you shop. Okay. And so is it fair to say they have a lot of time? Uh, I would assume that they do. Okay. I would assume so, that, I, actually, you know what? I'm going to assume that they don't have a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Here, here's why. Mm-hmm. We know that agents get in, got a kid, have a second one on the way, mm-hmm. um, 
have to work a, you know, a part-time job at night waiting tables mm -hmm. because I got to pay the bills while I'm building this career. So I'll say have time to go into the business, mm -hmm. but don't have what I had the fortune of, which is seven days a week, 12, 14 mm -hmm. hours a day, unlimited time. Don't have that. Have your traditional, yeah. call it okay. 30 to okay. 45 hours. And who should that business. person focus on, in your opinion, when they start? Who should they? Who should be the first people they tell that they're a realtor and that they should send people their way? Well, for sure, everybody should know. Based off of, and, and this is where it's going to blend a little bit to what you're saying, mm -hmm. just based off of everything you're putting out there in the world. Mm -hmm. But that's building the brand. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's letting everybody know that that who you are. Mm -hmm. what, what you need to be doing in the rest of your time mm -hmm. is finding, mm -hmm. chasing, yeah. a, getting after yeah. the people that are ready to transact in the next 30 to 90. Sure. And that's going to be, mm -hmm. okay, there's an old uh, lead list of people who have raised their hand in the last two years. Mm -hmm. You're calling and reaching out. Yeah. There's an expired listing mm -hmm. that happened yesterday. That's the warmest lead in your market. Yeah. Listen, when I'm a first-year employee, I, I don't say one word. I do everything I'm asked better than anybody, and I don't even think about one thing until year two. So that's probably why everybody likes me, and then I leave because I don't even I, – I literally head down – they hired me year two. Chris is like, got the goods. year two. It's like, okay, now I'm number one. Let's <laughs> yeah. talk, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. but I, I, listen, what I want to be able to do is I don't want to be a sleazy salesperson. Well, that's so right. I don't want to chase leads. Chasing leads has a negative connotation. I'm not saying I don't want to talk to people. I'm not saying I don't want to pound the phones or knock on doors or door, do door duty or do open houses or do showings for a listing agent or go take the, you know, leaves out of the gutter. I'll do all of that. All right. So we're in what I'm saying is if I want to convert people from the internet and social media into real business, it is not going to be sales that does that. My friend, it's going to be content marketing. So what I would do is instead of going and spamming all my friends and saying, I'm a realtor now, what is that going to do? Uh, yeah. You should go spend some of your time creating content. That's great. Absolutely. So that you then. So everybody knows that you're a realtor. I get that part. So that when you do yeah. outreach. So when we were calling our leads at Curator last week, guess what we were saying? Hey, we just created an ebook. Would you like a free copy? Just checking in. Yeah. All right, cool. I'll send it over. Isn't that a good reason to call? Absolutely. So, so, so marketing and sales, this is the biggest challenge and problem. If you look at all the data in my book, they're not aligned. You're thinking of them as two different activities. That's the problem. Well, having an expired in your market warmest lead, mm -hmm. there's not really, you could put together a piece of content and call them and say, hey, I just saw that you didn't sell your house. I got this piece of content I want to send over. I have mm -hmm. a case study mm -hmm. of why people in this market. Content can be scripts too. Content yeah, can, can be, be phone a, calls. Absolutely, yeah. right? So so you can, or you can mm -hmm. go more direct, you know, sales yeah. script. Let's of be course. honest here. Where it's, hey, saw your house was on the market, no longer is. Yeah. Are you still having thoughts of selling the I, house? I love that. I love that people do that and can do that and it works. When something works, People should do it, relatively speaking. The problem is, what is the opportunity cost of it? So you're giving a great example. Expired, Fizbos, call it the dirty back channel shit. Well, I'm people, talking about Facebook. The expired who is going to transact in the next 30, 90 days because they're just lucky mm -hmm. they got out of that six-month mm -hmm. contract or the mm -hmm. agent that let them down, and they're looking for so their So they price. should work on sales, correct? The, the, that agent needs to be better at sales in that example. So, that agent needs to be really good yeah. at what you were, where you were going just a couple minutes ago, where you're like, 
having the most conversations in the market, yep. that agent needs to be really good mm-hmm. at having the most conversations, mm-hmm. articulating that conversation a number of different ways, mm-hmm. having the data to back it up in their market. Mm-hmm. And so there's, you know, you're not just going to go day one mm-hmm. and highly convert these calls. Mm-hmm. As you get experience and yeah. as you practice, I'm a mm-hmm. believer in mm-hmm. practicing. Mm-hmm. If you're a fresh agent, you've been yeah. waiting tables, um, you've been working retail, mm-hmm. you know, maybe retail you'll have a little bit of a sales component depending on where you're, you're working, but you, maybe you're, you're coming out of a, a school teacher. We've seen a lot mm-hmm. of school mm-hmm. teachers, you know, some have really good success in the last couple of years, some go back to teaching. You're coming out of an environment like that. Mm-hmm. And you don't learn some basic sales like you did at Quicken, mm-hmm. it's gonna be hard to convert on the yeah. content only. Yes. Mm-hmm. Only. Because even I understand. We, we just did a three hour workshop. Yeah. It was teaching, 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 mm-hmm. teaching, mm-hmm. teaching. But mixed in there, there was a couple QVC drops of, yeah. hey, let's convert. Sure. So so let me address this because you're absolutely right that people should learn sales before they learn marketing. Again, I don't I don't think of them as two different things. I think everybody should read exactly what to say for real estate agents. Oh, 100%. Agents I've been first. talking about this forever. Yeah. yeah. So that's a book I wrote with Phil M. Jones oh, wait, and Jimmy. That, that is a great book as well. <laughs> Thank I thought you, you were going to say They Ask You Answer, that book, which no. is another great no, book. No, that's but, Marcus Sheridan. It's yeah, a good book but too. But your book is great as well. Thank you. Yeah, it's better than that book yes. because it's about conversations <laughs> yeah, real yeah. estate agents yeah. actually have, common, critical, and difficult. Yeah. So what I would do is I would go get that book for eight bucks or free with Audible, and I would go to the field guide. And what we did in the field guide is we said, here are the most common, critical, and difficult conversations agents have today. Yeah. And we didn't make those up. We had a workshop for two days in Boston with the top agents in the country. And we told that they told us. Yeah. And then we came up with how to use these magic words and phrases when they say that. And what we learned in that experiment was that you guys all know what the other person will say. You have their script down. You just don't know what to say back when they say what they say. Right. So that was what was so fascinating. It was like, man, you guys have what they say memorized. But when we say, hey, when they say that, what do you say? It's like, well, I don't know. You don't have that part. Exactly what to say. It's a great book. So I would, yes, whoever that person is you're describing needs to do sales. I was doing sales all day too, right? What was I doing at night? Marketing. Marketing. So I don't want to say it's either or. Now, there are some people that should cut the cord. There are people listening. I want to be very clear about this. There are people listening right now that never want another IDX forced registration landing page Facebook lead ever again, and they should cut the cord. It's okay to cut the cord. You don't need Zillow. You don't need Facebook. You don't need Instagram. You don't need Curator. You don't need Ylopo. You know what I'm saying? None of those things truly are going to be what moves the needle. So I think there's people like you and the Matt Leonetti's and the Glenda Bakers. And do you think Glenda Baker should have an ISA? Do you really think she should listen, have an ISA? Yeah, but listen. Should Matt Leonetti have an ISA? He uh, doesn't need an ISA. Let's be straight, though. First of all, Glenda does need an ISA. Mm-hmm. I will, uh, knowing enough about, and Glenda, if you're watching, maybe, maybe you're going to, because we haven't had this conversation, maybe Glenda's going to mm-hmm. uh, counter this. Glenda has so much inbound mm-hmm. lead, re- especially referral yeah. because of her brand, mm-hmm. that she does need somebody, whether you call it an ISA or something, to quarterback mm-hmm. all those inbound leads that she's getting. She Leads are chasing her Beautiful. as opposed yeah. to her chasing leads. Yeah. So I would, I would argue that she does need somebody quarterbacking mm-hmm. that. You want um, to be an ISA like you guys call an ISA. But what I'm, ta- what I'm saying is, listen, 
depending on what type of business, it starts with what type of business you want to start. Exactly. You want to have. That's the big point because the people I'm saying should cut the cord. They don't care about making more money or being bigger than they are. Right. They're loving it. Glenda shouldn't care about that for one second. She should be just keep trying to get on Netflix because when you get bigger and bigger and bigger, all those problems seem to take care of themselves. She needs an executive assistant. She needs a PR firm. Which she has. And she has somebody quarterbacking all this. She has an executive assistant And she should have someone that's good at sales that calls the leads and closes the leads. Yes. I could argue that Glenda's going to make more money dishing out referrals and she is maybe getting on Netflix though, but that's a whole nother discussion. So you're telling me that she wouldn't generate more referrals if she had a fucking Netflix Netflix. show. I think she should do it. They they work together. That's the beauty of it. Uh, Yeah, of course she's special. What you guys all try to do is you don't let the talent be the talent. Yeah. You try to make them do what you guys think they should do. Let her do her. She doesn't need a fucking ISA. She should never do internet leads. So all I'm saying is there's a lot of people that want to be like Glenda, not like Boomtown. But there's a lot of people that aren't going to be Glenda. That's great. Good for them. They should learn sales. They should get, there's more than one way to do it. All I'm saying is from the time I wrote the first book until the new book, content marketing and building your brand became as lucrative as ISA cold calling did a hundred percent. Okay. Then um, I would just yeah. rather have people call me. I don't want to call people. I agree with you. Tom Ferry calls me. Glenn so, Sanford calls me seriously. I, and no, I, don't I, even call, I call him back. I don't call him back, but I don't chase leads. So I want people to experience that. Cause I worked in the Absolutely. cubicle, dude. I was the one making all the damn calls. I know how hard it is. But so I just think that my reality now is better than people's reality now. Yes. I'm in agreement. Perfect world scenario. And then there's going to be, a lot of agents mm-hmm. who, like I s- said, fit into the 30 to 45 hour a week box. Mm-hmm. That's the time they have to put into their business. Mm-hmm. They've got other stuff going on in their life and their leads need to be generated for them. Mm-hmm. Whether that, and that's why yes. teams have exploded, right? Of course. There's 1.5 million agents in, you know, yeah. in NAR alone. And there's yep. more than that on top. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be 1.5 million Glenda's who have leads chasing them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so it's how do I get into a room around the people that have leads chasing them? How do mm-hmm. I partner with yeah. Zillow where leads are chasing Zillow? Sure. How do I create an environment where I can do the business that I want to do? Mm-hmm. And to your point, if you already have a business built up and you're getting 20 referrals a year and that's what you want to do for business, so you don't mm-hmm. want to grow and you want to stay flat. Cut like you said. Yeah. Cut the cord. Mm-hmm. Don't do freaking coaching. Yeah. Don't do you know any right, IDX but, but, sites. But, but why do just do vil- your twenty but, deals? But the way I hear people talk about that, it's like they're vilifying that idea. No, that no, approach. I'm not vilifying. I that. think that's actually why the industry's great. Yeah, I don't think the industry's great because of twenty four hundred homes sold a year kind of teams. Absolutely, I love those teams. They're my favorite teams. I work with them. They hire me. They got tons of money. Veronica it's, is one of my best friends. It is amazing that that's possible, but I just think we have to quit poo-pooing on the lady that's 100%. doing 15 mil and doesn't no, no, no. want to do anything oh, 15 else. mil is a great business. Yeah. Let's be real. I met a girl in here, Ken Posick's office. I said, hey, how long you been doing this? She goes, about a year. I go, how many homes you sell? She goes, nine. I go, that's pretty fucking good. Depending on the price point, for sure. Because, I mean, if it's a part-time gig at nine homes... Or 250... I mean, if it's a full-time gig, nine homes, $250,000 Let's say 500K, because we're, where we're at. Yeah, but that's four and a half million. Okay. It's going to be... How much income is that? It's going to be hard to survive off of that income. I understand that, but that's less than one home a year, and that's her first year. Okay, yeah, no, so it's a good, she gets it's a good a foundation. Year she gets absolutely, a year too. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. What I'm saying is everything is relative to the price point, yes. and is it your full-time job, and is mm-hmm. it your only income, yeah. and everybody's got a different business. Where I think maybe you're getting confused, people poo-pooing, it's when somebody says, 
I want to triple my business mm-hmm. and I refuse to partner with anybody that can help me get there, whether yes. that's mm-hmm. Zillow, whether that's a coach, mm-hmm. whether that's a curator. Gotcha. I want to triple my business and I just expect these leads to fall out of the sky into my lap. Mm-hmm. So that is what, uh, you know, when I have had time to hang out with Gary V a little bit and, and just watch his stuff. That is what he calls your, uh, your talk, just not being as big as your action. Your, your, your talk at your, you're a chihuahua. Mm-hmm. So I don't really spend time on those. I'm not, I'm not the dog whisperer. I'm the lead whisperer. I don't really try to convince anybody to be That's different. Right. I, I really don't because if they don't want to do it, they're not going to do it. So like, at least for me, it's like, okay, you want to triple your business. What's your plan? That's the first thing I always say. What's your plan? And they go, I don't have one. That's why we're on the phone. So if you don't have a plan, you need a partner. Yeah. Because Tom Ferry's got a plan. That I'll say. Mike Ferry's got a plan. Brian Buffini's got a plan. You know what I'm saying? Curator has a plan. Boomtown has a plan. So if you don't have a plan, we're better than no plan. Massive plan. Zillow's plan is one of the most amazing plans ever. Yeah. And And it happened over a long period of time. So if somebody doesn't have a plan. Yep then I would say they need help. But if they, but if they don't really mean it, because this is something I think that nobody wants to talk about, most of the people that say that, they don't actually mean it. It isn't that they won't do what it takes. It's that they don't mean it. Okay. We've covered so much on this pod. This is fun. It's a lot of fun. Yes. Let us know in but the I, comments if you want a part two. I want to leave everybody with one thing. Mm-hmm. What's holding so many people back from actually having a plan in their business? Mm-hmm. Like personally, what's holding humans back yeah. from taking the action to build the plan mm-hmm. that they've been thinking about in their head? Yeah. What are the different dynamics? Can you hand me that picture? Oh, please, wanna, p- please be careful. I don't want to draw. Yeah. Hey, hand me that picture. So we're in Orlando, okay? And I, I don't know if this... We can link wow. this up. You can edit it in, right? Yeah, you can, you can, you can cut to it. This is this is Disney. This is a, a either 1951, 1957. Walt Disney drew that hand by hand. And what he did is he knew that if we can if we can build this thing in, in a way that it all works together, like he basically drew where he wanted his life and plan to end up at the end of it. So he started at the end and then he, he drew how to make it. So if, if you look at this, putting dude, it up on the, on yeah. The so, but, but if you look at this, right, he knew, so films were their thing. Okay. So he knew if we do films, that'll make people want the music. If you watch a movie and you do the music, you might want to watch our TV shows too. Mm. And if you do all that, you'll probably come to the theme park. And if you come to the theme park, you'll probably buy anything merchandise, right? And every time you come here, it makes you want to watch that next movie more. So Gary Keller showed me that in his office. I had a private star. That's the North star. That's the thing. But what happens is that's why Gary says you got to think bigger than you've ever thought before, because the people that are waking up Byron that are making that happen, don't ask what you just asked. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is people make short plans. They don't make big plans. They don't have big, hairy, audacious goals, BHAGs. The way you accomplish a BHAG is you get out of your head. I, I yeah. understand the, the person that's, that's you're, you're going to go, right, get out of your head. But mm-hmm. what I'm saying is, and we talked about a little bit off air, what are the things that are actually stopping people, mm-hmm. a personal constraint that doesn't get them to even into play? Yeah, mode? well, the, I mean, it's a limiting belief. 
part of it. Part of it is mindset, you know, whether that's if somebody, well, I, I meet people that tell me they're depressed a lot mm-hmm. and it's because they know that I'm bipolar and they feel comfortable coming to me and, and it's a really, really this hard is, This thing. is where I want to go with it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, I get it. And, and so there's a lot of agents mm-hmm. unadmittedly that aren't feeling great. Mm-hmm. It's hard. So it, it, number one, when I talk about mental health, I always just give a disclaimer that I don't know anything. And it, this is just, I'll just mental to, health experts. I'll don't share know anything, my journey. So. so as someone who is bipolar, who has had a manic <clears throat> episode, who was put into a psychiatric facility, uh, I understand mental health more than most people. My mother, her father, my daughter, like this is a real thing for us. So I never even knew I was. And I, it, it hit me like later in life and it got triggered. And what happened is it's like, I went from being who I am. You know, I'm a, I'm a positive, enthusiastic, relatable, funny, like all, all, the, the words you would use. Extremely creative. They all went away. They all went away. Creativity. Boring monotone reserved that that's what I was post manic episode. Okay. So that is what bipolar means, right? Mm-hmm. Bipolar. Yeah, and I, it's funny when I went to the hospital, I said, ma'am, I'm not bipolar. I have way more than two poles. I'm like, I'm many, many poles. Like I didn't know what it meant either. I'm like everybody else. But most people watching, they don't know what it really means yeah. to be bipolar. They don't know that 10% of bipolar people kill themselves. Jesus. They don't know that one third of bipolar people never go back to work again after a manic episode. So it's a real bad disease. People see Kanye. People hear about Van Gogh. Guess who else was bipolar? Kurt Cobain. Mm. Like everybody Mm. that you can name that was creative, that was bipolar, almost all of them killed themselves. It's not a good disease. And so what I want people to understand is that there is a good part to it. If you, if you can figure it out and I don't know if everybody can, I feel like I throughout my life have been able to channel it and turn it into a superpower where some of the things that you, when you're bipolar, you have grandiose thoughts. You, you, you think you're larger than life and you can take over the world. You, you kind of need that blind faith. It's like that book alter ego. Yeah. You, you, you have endless energy. (laughs) I mean, I, I like I have endless energy, but it, it's not because I don't even work out. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's how I'm wired. You also, uh, you, well, your personality, there's all these attributes that people have that are bipolar. The problem is the other half of it is the depression where you don't want to get out of bed. You don't want to sit up. You don't want to do anything. That Whether it's bipolar, depression, anxiety, some other yeah. anxiety, mm-hmm. some other you know mental issue going on. Mm-hmm. That is where I think there's a lot of agents and just people in general get into a rut. Mm-hmm. I got into a three-year period of my life where I felt that way. I just kept living in mm-hmm. regret because I made massive mistakes, you know, buying loans from people like Quicken Loans, these types of people. Sorry. Right? You I know, like, oh, you an apology. That was my, it's yes. completely my fault. Yeah. And for ne- never during that three-year, I said, oh, man, mm-hmm. you know, it's their fault for giving me those loans. Mm-hmm. I just kept living in regret, didn't want to move. I was immobilized. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. I, I couldn't, I was in the mud. I was in the concrete. Mm-hmm. I wasn't bipolar, mm-hmm. but I was definitely, I don't know if it was depression, mm-hmm. but I wasn't able to act on anything. Mm-hmm. I couldn't make progress. I couldn't, I wasn't getting better. I was just, mm-hmm. 
flatlined for mm-hmm. the longest period of time. Well, that's depression if your baseline's way higher. Yeah. You know? So that's why it was so easy for me to realize there was a problem because I'm like a level 11 or 12 every day. And when you go down to like level four, everybody's like, what happened to Chris? You know, it's very, very obvious. Me, I hit a breaking point. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know how to explain, you know, what I just hated what I was doing so much mm-hmm. that I kind of had this, I guess, an epiphany, breaking point, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, this inflection point where mm-hmm. I just went the other direction. And I just started to actually learn from other people and pour into myself and mm-hmm. self-development just mm-hmm. started this like momentum, this compounding effect every single day. But that's right. And I talk about that. Mm-hmm. I don't think it hits with, I don't think I even explain it the way you cr- really felt the way I really felt. And so yeah. how do pe- how do you, mm-hmm. how do we help somebody who's feeling stuck, mm-hmm. get it going? Well, the first thing they need to understand is that, that it's very natural to want to not put your pain on others. That's how I am. So I'm not the depressed guy that's like angry. I'm just very reserved and, you know, I just don't say much. I'm just very quiet. And I never wanted to burden my family with my depression. Mm-hmm. So I get really quiet. Like I, I'm not mean. I'm not angry. I'm just, just super reserved. And um, my, my natural personality is so big and vibrant that when they see that, they know. You know, they know something's happening. What you're explaining and, and the thing I keep thinking about as you talk is I get asked all the time, what does it mean to be successful? How did you become successful? What's it like? Uh, what does it mean to be successful? How do you define success? Mm. And, and this is something I want everybody to understand. Success in life, my definition, is that your inner dialogue with yourself is positive. Yeah. That's it. And depression, it's not. That's the problem. So you're not burdening others. You're fucking yourself you're up all day. Yourself, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're negative self-talk, your racing thoughts. You can, and, and, it, and it, dude, it eats at you. And it is this idea that that becomes your actions, that becomes your words, that becomes your life. The way I've always explained it to myself mm-hmm. is living in the past as opposed to living in the future. Mm-hmm. When I live in the future, my self-talk, like mm-hmm. you're talking about, mm-hmm. is always really positive. Yeah. Because I'm super optimistic about tomorrow. Sure. I'm super optimistic about next year. Yeah. I'm super optimistic about the plan. Yep. It's really exciting to think about. Mm-hmm. And so let me, let me give you what they tell you. A psychologist would tell you. Am I'm, I wrong on that or no? No, you're 100% right. Depression is the past and anxiety is the future. Anxiety. Ooh. Because I feel and, and so that, less anxious though right now than I ever did when I was feeling, when I was in those, when I was yeah, in that time frame. Not, depression anxiety is like nerves and it's different and it's sort of maybe your chest gets tight but like it's, what, it's not the same as depression i'll tell you my first three years in real estate but the, the point there just so i don't forget that you need to live in the day that you're in oh for sure because because when you're depressed it's because you're you're wishing things were better or maybe longing for a better time yeah and when you're anxious it's because right now is not as important as what's coming and there, there's a great quote i never forgot be where your feet are. And that's maybe where I've maybe gotten closer to that point because mm-hmm. I, I really ignore a lot of the past. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that's a fault of mine, mm-hmm. but that's just kind of how in the last, since 2012 to today, mm-hmm. I've done that. I've just ignored the past mm-hmm. and it's now and, and the future. Mm-hmm. That's really where my head's always at. Yeah, it, that's not a bad thing. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of psychologists that will tell you that you don't have to work through all your past pain now, to make progress. That's, it, it, everybody doesn't have to go 
talk about their childhood trauma yeah. to be happy. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's to, it's not like that. A lot of people, it's actually bad for them to keep reliving it in therapy over and over. To your point about where anxiety kicked in, I probably had it, and I don't think I've ever told this story. In my first two, three years of real estate, I probably was was pretty anxious because, you know, you you described anxiety of of really only focusing on the future and not, not the now. Mm-hmm. Is, is that how you described it? Is that how I heard it? That's exactly right. Okay. That's definitely what I was doing because I was at rock bottom and I was like, I need to get going. I was mm-hmm. working 14 hours a day. I was, but the story I'm going to tell you is I was sweating through my clothes mm-hmm. every day for three years straight. Now I never do. Mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. I was getting sweaty pits mm-hmm. on a listing appointment. So I'd wear the sports jacket and make sure I you know, yeah. didn't, you know, cause I'd be bleeding through my shirts. Yeah. I started buying t-shirts that had the, yeah, yeah. the, uh, Beyonce got a, apparently there's a surgery you can get to remove the glands. Well, there, there was like a, have you um, heard of that? Yeah. No, there was a T-shirt which had this big like. Uh, oh yeah, thing like you would catch it. <laughs> it was the most uncomfortable thing in the world. I stopped wearing it. I tried it for like two months. I was like, this isn't going to work. Oh my god! But it wasn't until I got to a place where I felt really comfortable doing. I always love that book, Outliers. Like when I had put in my hours mm-hmm. and I started to feel comfortable. That yeah. to your point, you know, just talking it through right now, I could start focusing on today as much as the future. Yeah. And the sweats went away naturally. Well, yeah, it's true, man. It's true. And the literal sweats. That's the thing. Uh, the literal. Yeah. The yeah. literal ones. Yeah, and I think one of the best things that's happening about mental health is that people actually understand it's a real thing. Because when we were growing up, it wasn't a thing. Like, if someone was crazy, they were just crazy. They weren't bipolar, psychotic, you know? Or they were just uh, hyper. They weren't ADHD. Yeah. Or they were just, uh, my dad used to call me Eeyore. <laughs> Always moping around the house. Yeah. You know? That wasn't called depression. There was no <clears throat> pharmaceuticals to help you with it. So what I want to hit on here to, to kind of bring that part of this full circle is very simple. Your actions are the only thing that matter when you feel that way because you can't control those thoughts. What you can control is your actions. So what I do is I get my fucking ass out of bed mm-hmm. and I go get the dog and I walk that fucker and I come home and I make a coffee and I get in the shower and I take a shower. You know what I'm saying? And I get dressed I focus on my actions. So have a an actionable routine that can get the the mindset starting to shift the other direction because it's a momentum thing for sure. It is, and and so what happens is when you start like and this Moving. is something. I, well, this is something I've said that really helped a lot of people. So it's it, it's this idea that like everybody wakes up and has negative thoughts yep what i do is i don't judge how i feel when i wake up i judge how i feel when i'm done with that routine and and i just don't even i don't even it doesn't even enter my mind anymore how am i feeling i used to wake up every day dude and it's just like is this gonna be a good day or a bad day and when you're depressed by the way within one second of waking up you know you're gonna have a bad day 100 percent. it's crazy yeah I, and you know what's i'll tell you this i'll be honest i lied to myself because I was sleeping a lot. Mm-hmm. And so if I had my calendar and it was like an appointment at nine, appointment 11, appointment at one, in between those appointments, I would sleep. Yep. And I, I thought it was like, I'm kind of rich and I'm 
doing good. So I just get to sleep all day. <laughs> like, I, like I started justifying it to myself. Like, of course I'm in bed at 11. That's why I worked so hard for so long. Like, I, like I'm telling you, man, people start doing this inner dialogue. So I, the thing that I just need practical, actionable advice, dude, I don't need any theory. So the actual advice for me is focus on your actions, have a routine, make a list, stick to it. My parents were both cops, disciplinarians, checklists, punishments, restrictions, no getting off restrictions early. Like, you know what I mean? Very militaristic. You have got to have a routine and you've got to stick to it and just don't judge how you feel yeah. when you get up. And then there's medicine that helps people, dude. The, the, the thing about the medicine that I think people don't understand, most bipolar medicine sucks to take because it makes you lethargic. Mm -hmm. it, 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 the goal of it is, uh, it's called lamotrigine. It's called a mood stabilizer. And it's meant to keep you from getting manic and, and, and uh, having a manic episode, which, which you don't want to have. They're, they're awful. Well, they're good, and then they're awful. It's a long story. So you're, you're sort of in this kind of limbo. And, man, uh, I personally, and I, I've only told this to one person in a setting like this, but I self-medicated with marijuana my whole life. Mm -hmm. I, from the time I went to college started smoking weed and I know a lot of the stoner stereotype is at least from back then it, it was true it was lazy hitting the bong sleeping on the couch the guy on the couch like eating potato chips yeah like half baked right yeah. like that was the, that was the the persona back then but because I'm bipolar and I don't know if this is the case for everybody but like for for whatever reason it gave me more energy not less it made me more active, not less active. Okay. Yeah. It made me more creative, not lazy. So it, for whatever reason, so for you me. you start doing more and more and more of it, probably, just assuming. Well, no. I, I mean, I think I've, it's almost been kind of like a medicine for me in many yeah. ways. Like, okay. I, I probably have smoked a lot more than most people. But I also, like, I wasn't, like, smoking during the day. Like, I would work. Like, kind of like happy hour. Get off. You go have a beer. Okay. I'll get off and go smoke a joint. Got it. So, it, uh, and I don't drink. <laughs> so, it's like, you know, everybody's got to have something, right? We all have at least one vice, right? So as I was younger, I smoked. I didn't think about it. Smoked, went to college, da, da, da. Okay. Well, the thing that triggered my manic episode, and I'm, I'm, I'm willing to share this because I think some people uh, don't realize that this is a thing. So there's a thing called drug-induced mania, which is where you basically overdose, and that's what triggers the manic episode. You're bipolar or you're not, okay? You don't become bipolar. You're bipolar or you're not. Before you, before you're how, born, how when you are it? born, you are bipolar. Okay. You might not get diagnosed until much later in life. You might not get diagnosed. How old did you start smoking marijuana? The second I moved out of the cop's house. Which was, was that 18 or 12? Like, what was that 18. age? Oh, yeah. 18. I went to Florida State. Oh, so you didn't start, I, dude, I went to Florida State. I lived in a dorm with a couple of buddies from college. You, you didn't and, start smoking weed at 12 years old? No. Because? No, I never touched it. I never, I never drank or smoked. I hit a blunt one time when I was in 11th grade, and I yeah. hated it. I never touched it again. I think there can be, and this is a whole other rabbit hole, I think there can mm -hmm. be some chemical imbalances when people start. Too early, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, when your brain's still developing. Yeah. Listen, weed's not all good. I don't want to make no, it No, no, that's, like that. that's exactly yeah. where I'm going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there, especially when you're young. Yeah. But because my parents were so strict, and back then there wasn't vapes and stuff, you couldn't really hide it, like smell like weed. Yeah, they were going to know. They would take me to jail. Especially if they were in law enforcement. <laughs> yes, they were going to know. I know. So I, and, and I, I just, I, I never needed it. I, I was fine. Went to college and it's just my, my dorm room neighbors smoked all day. So I just smoked with them and it slowly, it slowly took off. But 
the reason I had a manic episode is I actually switched to medical marijuana. Florida became a state where it was legal. Yeah. I had just been buying weed for my friend my whole life, you know, dime bag, quarter ounce, whatever. The black market. Well, I thought, you know, it would be much safer because it was regulated to, to, to get a license and to do it officially through the state. Yeah. And so that's what I did. I, I just like a lot of people here in Florida, got my license and went down. And when you're smoking weed from your buddy, just you just get an ounce and roll joints and pack bongs. And, like, you don't get a lot of choices. They don't say, hey, let me show you all the stuff I got. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, you know the trench coat guy? It's not super scientific. It's not, yeah. dude. It's like you, you're just hoping from, there's not a lot of stems and sticks. You get it from smoke, Smokey around the block. Yeah. You got to you take. you know take, that movie reference, Bobby? Yeah. Friday? Right. Friday. Yeah. Okay. yeah you, you, I knew you got you it. You got to take what you got to take. The youngin. So that was my whole thought. So I, I, I get into this, you know, I get the card and I go in and the, the way that they handle this is very poor. They basically encourage you to try it all to see which one is best for you. Cause there's a lot of people that have never smoked before. Right. Well, I've been smoking for 20 years. Different, I know there's different uh, levels. Like, a, like Dude, there's cookies, there's food. Te- Tequila is going to hit you harder than wine is going to, yeah. you know, something like that. Well, there's a percentage of THC in right. weed. And different normal weed yeah. that grows from the ground is awesome. It's a beautiful thing. It's an amazing plant. I love it. Medical marijuana is manufactured in a lab. Mm. And what they do is they take the THC as high as they can get it. So I was taking pills that were 93% THC. Jeez. Yeah. Sounds insane. Dude, when I got to the hospital, I told the doctor, I said, it's the red pill. Because it was red. (laughs) Like Matrix. I'm like, it was the red pill. It's sativa. I know the reason I'm this way is that. Like, I knew it. Cause I started taking it and I was traveling. I didn't want to bring weed and took a pill, dude, that shit is serious. You so red pilled. Oh my God. And you're right. It's it, I got red pilled. And basically <laughs> to your point about, um, <clears throat> tequila, I guess the analogy I would use would be, you know, there's people that drink a couple of beers every night. And this would be like, if you drink a fifth of one fifty one, it's not the same now. Drinking a beer is not the same as drinking a fifth. Right, because it's like you're talking 5% or it's, 7% it, to uh, yeah, 151. Exactly. So it, it, it was sort of like I went from, you know, call it 15% THC to 93%. 93, yeah. and, and, and you have to be really careful. Now, I don't know if you've ever smoked. I don't know if you're willing to. Yeah, no, to, I have. Okay. Definitely. Do you ever get paranoid? No. I never, well, I, listen, I was the reason I brought up the 12-year-old example, that's when I started smoking weed. Oh, oh geez. 12 years old. Yes. Dude. So you started uh, and stopped earlier? I stopped. No, I smoked for a long time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I officially, I don't think I've ever said this on a podcast. So no, we'll keep it. We'll keep it in. I mean, it's real yeah. stuff. Uh, when my first daughter was born, mm-hmm. which was six plus years ago, I retired from ever doing a shot, shot mm-hmm. of alcohol. That's when you get the most mm-hmm. waste. You know, you just yep. start doing shots. Like, yeah, yeah. Point of the one for three. Do a shot. So I retired. So people ask me, hey, do a shot. Celebratory. Mm-hmm. I retired from doing shots when my first daughter was born. Can't argue with that. When my second daughter was born, 2020, mm-hmm. so we're, we're just talking, you know, two and a half years ago, mm-hmm. I stopped cold turkey mm-hmm. smoking weed. Mm. I only had stopped from for a two to three year time period when I was working in a nuclear power plant because you had to. Yeah. You, you got sure. tested. But from 12 years old until mm. that time, yeah. I only had that two to three year break, mm-hmm. stopped cold turkey and just said, 
it's just not a, it wasn't useful for me. Yeah. So well, uh, everybody quits and starts again and you know, it's hard yeah. to quit sometimes and people say it's not addictive. It is addictive. It, it, it is for addictive. Me, like when, it's addictive in the sense that it's like, it's kind of nice. Like it's like a beer is addictive. When like, I attached it to my second daughter's born, I need more capacity in my life mm-hmm. to accomplish the things that I want to do. Mm-hmm. It mentally made it extremely easy for me. Mm-hmm. And I haven't had a single puff. I have stopped on a dime. Mm -hmm. And leading up to that, Mm -hmm. I had tried to quit smoking weed multiple times. Mm. But the the why was big enough that that last time. When I attached it to that Mm -hmm. and what I need to get done over the next 20 years as I'm raising these two girls, Mm -hmm. I haven't thought twice about it. Yeah. Listen, if you can... Be happy and content and positive and active and awesome without any pharmaceuticals. Do that. I've like, I am so jealous. Like people are jealous of some of the stuff that I get to do. I'm jealous of my father-in-law. I mean, he's just like a happy dude. I've went crazy the other direction. And it annoys the hell out of my wife because mm-hmm. it's like, I focused in on the nutrition. Like I only eat three times a day. Mm-hmm. I don't have any snacks. Got a salad. Yeah. I had a salad at mm-hmm, lunch, mm-hmm. right? Like I eat the same thing for breakfast, the same thing for lunch, and then dinner, some just mm-hmm. some type of protein. But I have this really strict morning routine. Like I've just keep chipping away, mm-hmm. and that's been kind of my my high, so mm-hmm. to speak, of yeah. doing that kind of stuff. Well, that's the other thing is people are going to typically like your 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 usage of drugs, your usage of these things is going to go up as your depression goes up. Yeah, yeah. So the the worse you're doing, the more you'll do. And there is a point where there's too much. So I'm not advocating everybody start smoking weed and taking drugs and doing this stuff. I take Wellbutrin, which is a antidepressant. Yeah. I take Lomotrogen, which is a mood stabilizer. And I smoke a little pot. And that, for me, has gotten me to a place where I think as long as I just am smart and, like, I'm good. And disclaimer here, we don't know what the hell anything is for anybody. No, the, the no, because I've seen, I have, or, well, when or, you're into this yeah. world, I mean, I was, I was, uh, I mean, I was locked up for two months. Uh, the first month was in a state owned facility. The second month was more of like a bougie one. Ooh. But that first month was the hardest month of my life, dude. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh, my God. And it's because I, they couldn't get my levels right. Because they're trying to stabilize you. You know, are you a threat to yourself and others? Mm-hmm. And if, you, if the answer is not no, they can't let you go. Right, right. And so th- I had a weird issue. I have a stomach issue, some random unrelated thing. And the, the medicine they were putting on wasn't working. So I was like, I was supposed to start three days or three weeks. It's like, what's going on here? Dude, when, you're, when that happens to your life, you get a real big wake-up call about a couple of things. Number one, not much matters. Your family, your friends, and your job is the only thing that matters. Number two, you're, you don't matter. I, you know, th- you're in this little routine now, and I've been in this dog and pony show for 15 years. I put out content every day. Mm-hmm. I come from contribution. I help people. I think I give more value than almost anybody on the fucking internet. And I went away for four months and no one cared. It isn't that they didn't care. It's that life's going to keep going. Yeah. You're not as important as you think you are. Something else came into that space. I needed that because I, I had been on that up and right trajectory for maybe 12 or 13 straight years. 
And I, I had got a little bit caught up reading my own press clippings. Okay, that's interesting, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not over the top and not anywhere to the degree that I see a lot of people behind the scenes end up. It's the contagion I talk about. It, it, it is. But, yeah, I, I think, listen, man, this is a tough gig to be public all the time. Yeah. You can mess up a time or two. I messed up. I was tweeting weird shit. Like, I had a public breakdown. Mm-hmm. That is not good for your family, for your life, for your career. But it just put everything in perspective. I remember my friend Amy Younger, and she said, I said, Amy, I'm never going to be the same. I don't feel the same, you know? She goes, of course you're never going to be the same. You're going to be better. Mm-hmm. She goes, now you've got your everything you were and you live through this. And you're, I mean, the way you are just navigating the environment, the mm-hmm. the industry that we're in, you're impacting so many people. I mean, I feel like, I don't feel like you've even started and we mm-hmm. just went, spent however long we spent, <laughs> a long yeah. time yeah. talking about all the stuff you've done and mm-hmm. you're still young as hell and you are going to do so many other things. So it's like, it's Thank amazing you. to watch kind of and, and, and have this relationship with you because mm-hmm. it's beautiful to see. Thank you, dude. I appreciate that. And I, I'm, I'm building my Disney is what I'm doing. Yeah. And that's why I showed that. What Gary Keller told me, Ken, we're going to steal that, by the way. We're going to yeah. walk out of well, here. Well, Gary, Gary, <laughs> dude, I think yeah. the right. one in Gary PDF. Keller's office is the real one. Really? Yeah. Oh, he has the OG copy? Yes. I don't want to misquote this, but I'm almost positive that the one in Gary Keller's office is the actual one Disney drew. I, it's about collectibles. Dude. He, that's got to be He's worse. a really cool, the cool guy, centric. I, I got to spend about two hours with him alone. <clears throat> and uh, this is over 10 years ago when I wrote my first book. I went and interviewed him when he had the one thing coming out. He's somebody I'd love to talk to. It, it's it's he's the most fascinating guy. Yeah. He, he will tell you a story. You'll have no idea what he's talking about, and then it'll become an epiphany all of a sudden. Like it's it, like he was telling stories about guitars, and he, and it just somehow it comes full circle. But what he told me is, he said the people that don't do that, that don't think big and don't write what they want their life to be. So I did that when I left his office and I put these things on a map. I literally drew my Disney. And so for me, like the book and curator and these things that I'm doing, maybe that's why I'm in a good zone because I'm just going, I'm just waking up and making that happen. That's right. I'm not trying to figure out what that is. And if you're willing to think big and go, when I die, If that's what I accomplish, I'm good. It's a good feeling to have that moment. So have that next step to take. That's knowing where your next step is. Yes, and what you Gary not said. ultimately mm-hmm. go the way you thought you were going to go. It's all connected. But have that momentum of the step forward. Yeah, and it is all connected. If you do it the right way, it's really connected. So the way I think about it is the workshop we did today is me preparing for being a guest lecturer at Harvard soon. Right. And the podcast we're doing is me, like, I'll be a little bit better when Guy Raz interviews me for how I built this mm-hmm. because of this. So I, like, I don't even look at, like, what I'm doing right now is small. This I would look be at a way, inter- b- way better interview yeah. than that, though, by the way. So. <laughs> He's really good. So, th- so just so I don't lose this point, he said, people who focus on their checking account are the people who live check to check. Yeah. And the I- people that focus long-term, think long-term, have a plan, write it down, wake up. Try to make it happen. They, they do all right for themselves. And 64% of people live paycheck to paycheck. So which camp are you going to be in? Dude, I freaking love you, man. Nice to meet you.
Nice, nice to meet, to you, meet you. I love you too. Nice I love to you. meet you. I love you, man. No, this you know great. what I want? I want. Well, we did just meet, which is also a we fascinating. Actually, yeah, because we've had this long relationship mm-hmm. on Zoom and these kind of things. Yeah, and then we just met in person. Today. Yeah, it's weird. I, I'm sure a lot of people feel that way about you because you've been, you know, putting out such great content and you're in my feed all the time. So yeah, it's fun to meet for the first time. And I like what you said there because I the other limiting belief that I let go of when I went through all that shit is that I've I'm anywhere near my potential because it's weird when you get your early forties, you start almost like, okay, you got a kid, you're living in the burbs, your kids are teenagers. And I started thinking like, I like did I, it wasn't that I thought I made it. It was that I didn't realize. So I started thinking, Oh shoot. I go curators, not my Vayner media curators, my wine library. I've got a question for you and I want everybody that's on YouTube to answer in the comments as well. What do you believe your peak age in life is going to be your peak? Mm-hmm. Cause I know what mine, I believe yeah. in my head is going to be. What, yeah. So well, you're, you mm-hmm. said you're in your forties. Yeah. I'm 43, 43. Mm-hmm. Where, where's your peak? Because you're, you're mm-hmm. there's going to be a, a point where it's like, I've got all this experience. I'm firing in all cylinders. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there should probably be a term limit in politics for, you know, Obvious reasons. We got all these. It should old be a folks. term limit in Instagrammers. <laughs> it should be a term limit on social media. Uh, what's and in the comments, let me know what mm-hmm. you think yours is. What's going to be your peak age? Yeah, and you feel like you're hitting mm-hmm. a stride right now, but what is? It, what do you think it's going to be? Yeah, uh, probably about ten more years from now. Yeah, Mine's maybe fifty-five. Yeah, right in there. I feel like fifty-five is mm-hmm. the peak. Yeah, what I what I do when I think about getting older is I look at people that I look up to and I just figure out how old they are and I go, oh, if he's still doing that at that age, I'm good. And then at fifty-five, it'll be sixty-five. Yeah, because like Bill 75. Belichick, Bill Belichick, seventy years old. Exactly. He's a head coach. Yeah. Do you know how much, how hard it is to be a head coach so of a football team? Andy Reid is sixty-five and out of shape. He's so still doing just fine. So it's so always going, ten years ahead. Yeah. So I think I, I I think what happens is right now we're forty-three. Well, I'm 38, but yeah. Oh, hush. I got some, I got oh, a little ways no, to go. Really listen, close <laughs> enough. Listen, we're both in our late to late 30s, early 40s. <laughs> um, but like, I do think that I thought the 12 years I just went through were the best years. Right. And, and now I know that they're not. So, and so now, like, yeah. as I'm starting these new projects, some of the stuff that I've been telling you about behind the scenes it's just like, oh, there is something really valuable to having a lot of experience yeah. because the mistakes I made in all of these other stories that I've told, I'm avoiding and I'm accelerating my ability to get product market fit and to create the right culture from day one and like to have an accountant much sooner, <laughs> like all those mistakes that you make, find the right business partners and uh, have the right uh, articles as incorporation and equity distributions. There, there's so much that you can sort of do better when you get the next at bat. So I'm pumped, man. When I am 55, I will be a business legend. Make sure that if you went all the way through this pod, you hit Chris up on Twitter, you hit him up on Instagram, say, Hey, appreciated yeah. what you shared because I know I appreciate what you shared. This was, this was fantastic. Mm-hmm. So go hit Chris up. Yeah, and I and I hope and people can send me private messages, dude. People don't like talking. Yeah, people don't like talking about a lot of this stuff publicly. I've had people share such personal stuff, and I would never share what they share with me privately. But there are so many people that are affected by mental illness that aren't the ones that are mentally ill. Yeah, and that's the thing that I think family members, people that have trust me, we could do a whole. It's it's harder on. Four hour podcast on that you. kind of stuff for yeah. sure. 
Yeah, like my mania was harder for my wife than it was yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really, really tricky. So um, anyway, man, it is a conversation worth having. People are happy to hit me up. Like, And by the way, you might catch me on a day where I feel like shit. I'd love to do more of that yeah. stuff with you because yeah. I think it's super impactful. And I mm -hmm. think all of us, you know, everybody can relate in one way or another personally or mm -hmm. like you're saying, some, somebody around. Uh, appreciate it. Yeah, good hit, stuff, man. Hit Chris up on social. And if you want to get... Just more of a flavor of Chris Smith. Go check out one of his four books. They're all amazing. Yeah, thank you. Cheers. Cheers.